Hi Chris, how are you? Good Yeah, all is well here. You don't look like you're in your shed. I'm not in the shed. I am home alone with the children, so I'm in the house and they didn't want me to go to the shed. So hopefully the acoustics are okay. We will see, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll figure it out as we go along. It's just just this unusual location to see you in. I'm still in my usual spot, parked in my house here. It's been a lovely day in Swansea, so yeah, good to go. So we're here we are. We're awake from sleep, episode 27 for the 25th of July, 2022. Off we go. Should we start with some follow-up? Yeah, let's start with some follow-up. I think it'll be a short show, as we came across last week. There's not that much going on in the tech world at the moment, but we still want to get something out, so here we go. Yeah, so homework, sorry, our follow-up from last week was we had a little bit of doubt between us with Apple saying what would happen if they took these games out of Apple Arcade and 9to5Mac, which we'll put in the show notes of a little article, and what does happen if they pull a game out of Apple Arcade. It's very straightforward. You can play the game for two weeks after, and after that, it's no longer playable. I guess it's good in a way you can play it after it's been removed it's not long is it i don't know i'm not, not big on it but i guess it's just like movies being removed i think it'd be better if they made it more obvious and told people this was happening before it happened yeah or give you the opportunity to buy it if it's something like three is in your addiction they should give you the opportunity to keep it on your phone by buying it or something and especially if you've got a high score and what happens because like threes is a great example so threes I bought, and then I got threes plus through Apple Arcade, and I did move over to threes plus because I thought, well, it's more likely to be maintained if it's on Apple Arcade and will work. Whereas threes is quite long in the tooth, but to be fair, they have maintained it for major OS releases. And I thought I'll move over to threes plus, but I just start again basically, which I didn't mind. You know, to get my high score, and that that was fine. I did that, but it could be really frustrating if it is a game where you've invested a lot of time and you don't want to restart again, and the only way you can do it is going back to the app released by the developer direct. Yeah, I, I share that frustration in a way. One of the consequences of having a new iPad last week was I, of course, reinstalled Slay the Spire. So when I reinstalled it, none of my achievements or progress had been synced to iCloud. So everything was lost. I'm starting again. And on one hand, I don't mind that. You know, it's quite nice to have all your, your records reset and all the rest of it. But on the other hand, that's quite annoying, isn't it? You know, you re- unlock all the cards and the artifacts and do all the thing. And, it, uh, you know, I'd probably hundreds of hours crank, cranked into that on, on the iPad. Why couldn't they sync the settings? It makes no sense to me. Oh, yeah, no, I agree. I think it depends on the game. So, like, like with three, so I was happy to start a game. It's not a big ask. But if it's like a game like Uncharted where you've done loads of levels, you may not want to start a game. And I, I, I don't know. I'm a bit mixed on it all. Yeah, and we talked last week about the Steam Deck firing up my, my copy of Dirt from years and years ago, and there it was. You know, Steam Cloud had just synced it where I was and the race I was in, the progress I'd made and everything. It's not a lot of data. You know, it's a bit of XML, I would guess, just to say where you are, you know, in a level. You're, you're, you've made it this far, you got these achievements. That's a bit shoddy, really, that's all. Yeah, I th- and I think it's table stakes now, isn't it, Cloud Sync? Just briefly, while you mentioned Steam Deck, I did go, well, why don't I reserve one for four quid last week? But I can't seem to get Steam to take my money. It just emails me letting go, we can't process your transaction. Do you want to try again? I go, yes. And it goes, can't do it. And that's trying to use a na- uh, Visa nationwide debit and credit card. Neither seem to work. Very bizarre. That's really strange. I, I mean, I had no issues with it. Are you doing it via the website or via the Steam app? Just in a web browser on my iPad. And I just thought, well, that should work. I'm surprised I don't support Apple Pay, to be fair. Mm, yeah, who wants to pay them the processing charges? We've been through that. 
Yeah, I've no idea what Apple Pay processing is when you use it on your website. Well, it's not. We haven't, hasn't made it in the news, but there was a story this week. We may as well move on to the news because I think we've kind of exhausted the follow up. I'll try and dig out the link for the show notes about there's a class action lawsuit being brought against brought by one American bank on the amount of fees it's losing or paying. I forget the exact details of it to Apple Pay. Apple Pay, and they want other banks to join in because they feel they've had to be part of Apple Pay because the customers have demanded it. But then they're still, and I, like I said, I'll dig out the story now. But that is quite an interesting thought, isn't it? That banks and, and you know, Epic have obviously got a problem with this as well, which is why they're suing Apple. And we'll get to a story later about the Digital Markets Act, which will probably also affect Apple and their transaction processing. So, yeah, there's a bit going on in the financial space. Yeah, I haven't kept up with it. You're clearly a lot more in tune than I am. It is interesting, but I, I don't know. Apple is becoming a bank. You know, I wonder at what point, you know, 20 years from now, Will they have to split Apple up and they will literally be Apple Bank Incorporated, Apple, you know, maybe Apple Computer, we go back to that name, and then Apple Films or whatever they're going to be called. Here we go. I think I found it on Reuters.com. Lawsuit accuses Apple of antitrust violations over Apple Pay. So this is from July the 18th. Apple was sued on Monday to propose class action payment, payment card issuers, accusing the iPhone maker of abusing its market power mobile devo- devices to thwart competition for its Apple Pay mobile wallet. According to a complaint filed in San Francisco Federal Court, Apple coerces consumers to use its smartphones, smartwatches, and tablets into using its own wallet for contactless payments, unlike makers of Android-based devices who can choose between Google Pay and Samsung Pay. So this is just yet another case of of Apple sort of being on the wrong side of this. And I guess it's what happens when you're the... You know, you're the big kid in the room or whatever the right phrase is for that. But uh, yeah, this this it's got impact. Yeah, no, I was just thinking about what you said about using Google Pay or Samsung Pay. If I've got a non-Samsung phone, a Pixel phone, can I install Samsung Pay on that? Probably. Okay, I've, I've literally, my naivety on the Android world. So, okay, no, I just wondered. So they should have a wallet framework, really, is what, what I think we're saying. Because why don't other banks' apps allow, have wallet functionality? Yeah, I mean, if you're PayPal, for example, you know, PayPal has got its own thing and increasingly seeing websites a pay with PayPal option or get finance with PayPal or, or whatever it might be. It's another, you know, thing that you see there. So, you know, I'm sure PayPal would like a slice of that action on the on the iPhone or iPad or on your watch as well, that it just came directly from them and there were no processing fees. So you can kind of have a bit of sympathy with these other payment companies. Not that PayPal's a good guy at all this, don't get me wrong. I do use PayPal a little bit. I was in the office today, somebody got the bacon rolls and they said, just PayPal me the money. And... It is super convenient for that. I kind of forget PayPal exists, if I'm brutally honest. Yeah, my kids use it all the time for lots of things. They PayPal money back and forth. So I, I think maybe we're, I'm a bit too old to get a lot of the reasons for PayPal. I used to buy stuff on eBay with PayPal was the only reason I thought it existed. But no, I increasingly see it on on, on websites and things. So yeah, I, I they should watch themselves here, Apple. I think they could be up against it a little. We also don't have Apple Pay Cash in this country which would, for me, replace pay- the need for PayPal, I think. I've, I just want to give a friend five quid or whatever it may be. Yeah, not everybody's on Apple Pay, are they? This is the thing. Yeah, I think you're more likely to, I don't know, you're more likely to have PayPal in this country, maybe different in America, where, where it's a bit more prevalent the, than that. And I know there are other, Venmo is another big American company that used to do a lot of sort of transferring of cash between people. I think here we're more likely to back each other, you know, because like Monzo, for example, has made it super easy for sort of paying people little bits of money and Starling Bank, I think, does the same sort of thing. So it's just, it's a very competitive space and you can understand where, why Apple might be seen to have a monopoly here, that to others would be worried about that. Why isn't Apple Pay available on Google's platform. Why haven't they done Apple Wallet for Android? 
I guess they could. Maybe they've got no desire to do so. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about it, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, interesting though. So that, I mean, it's really, this class action lawsuit is probably just another thing we should keep our eyes on really. But yeah, it's it's interesting times. You could have a whole legal podcast on just Apple lawsuits <laughs> going on at any one time. You could. You'd need to read them a little more thoroughly than, than I, I generally do because I have a habit of skimming over them a little bit and you think, oh, it's yet another lawsuit. But, you know, it's, it is a thing. I actually found the second, no, it is the, it is the same story. But the sort of credit card issuers, you know, have £100 million lawsuits against Apple in California and uh, all over the place. So, yeah, interesting. Well, so maybe we're not adding a section legal watch, but we'll see how we go. I don't think I've got a desire for legal watch. I've not got the right education for that one. No, you need to be a lawyer, really. I don't know, just interested. Good. Okay, next story. I think we failed to explain last time we talked about Thread and Masser what it's for. What's it for, Chris? I still don't know what it's for. So my, my understanding, so so actually hear me out and then we, let's look at the article. So my understanding was that the Matter Alliance is a universal protocol in essence that is kind of like HomeKit, but shared with Android, Microsoft, anybody that wants to use it. And it's a cross technology vendor platform standard that everybody can adhere to. So you don't need to go and buy your light bulb or your socket that is HomeKit or whatever Android did and Alexa and so on. And it you just buy a matter one and it will work with all the technology platforms, which I think is great because there was never enough HomeKit stuff. And I bought a few things that weren't quite HomeKit and regretted it or were janky implementations of HomeKit. So I'm actually quite excited about matter. And then subsequently to that, a technology that will make matter better, my understanding is, and that's called Thread. And Thread, I believe, allows devices to talk to each other and to your phone, I'm guessing, over a localized protocol. Have I got that right or wrong? That sounds feasible to me. So Matter is a, a standard to which you can build a device which makes them interoperable amongst whatever the vendor is, likely Google, Apple, Amazon being the big players in the market. So you build one, it will work on all of them without having it have any special protocols to an appropriate security level, et cetera, et cetera. And then Thread is effectively the radio protocol that lets these things talk together. So you think of it as like a private local area network or Wi-Fi network or mesh network, more likely based on the way routers and things work, that it just makes them easy to talk to. Good. I think we established what they, what they were. And all this little article was to say is that the company Eve has developed a motion sensor and it's the first thing to have one of these Thread radios in it. So it's Maybe the, the beginning of the wave of new products is what we're seeing here. Yeah, and Eve had previously launched, in the UK anyway, a three-pin plug that's got thread in it. I really like the Eve stuff. I've got a bunch of their plug sockets. I find them a little slow. None of mine are thread-enabled, so I'm worried I need to go and rebuy some of my sockets because I'm, I'm, am I going to miss thread? What I think I'm going to do is when they're next on sale is grab one or two, then when matter ships try out a thread socket and compare it to a non-thread socket and is it more reliable because you do get a noticeable delay on it and it is frustrating so i'm curious to see where it all goes but the eve stuff i do have one of those sensors the old version i've got an eve button because people in my house were getting annoyed there to use an app so i thought i'd just put a button on the side and i've got uh, 10 of those sockets around the house so i'm a big fan of it i think they make really good products nice hardware i find it annoying though you need to use their app to do all the firmware updates why can't i just have all that in the home app same with the ikea blinds we talked about last week to update the firmware you've got to use ikea's app i just want it all to work 
Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I mean, I, I, I'm sort of more invested in Philips Hue for light bulbs rather than the socket side of it. I, I suspect it's mostly lamps you've got turning off and on, you know, as much as Yeah, anything. predominantly lamps. Yeah, uh, which makes sense. But I quite like the ability to dim, and I was initially quite sort of keen on the ability to change colours and things in the bulbs, but the coloured bulbs were rubbish. You know, they, they weren't bright enough. The colours were quite nice, but I think I'm getting old. I want them nice and bright when I'm actually sitting down to look at something. So I went for the sort of pure white ones, and, and they're great for that. You set timers, people come and go. And it is relatively fast, particularly if you use the app. And I don't know if you remember, well, you didn't have a PlayStation 3, but... When you want something to go off, you want it to go off. So if you'd go to turn off your PlayStation 3, it would think about it for about five minutes and eventually sort of turn itself off. And then when I had an Xbox, it would turn itself off immediately. And I immediately preferred the Xbox 360 at the time because it just switched off. You know, and that's what you want in these kinds of consumer appliances. Is you don't want it thinking about it or storing data or whatever it's got to do. It should just go off. It's a bloody light bulb. Real-time follow-up, I did have a PlayStation 3 because that was the Spider-Man PlayStation. If you remember, I had the Spider-Man font. But yeah, I agree. You do you do want it to go off. Just Or even even if it's not off, just fake it to the user that it's off, if, if that makes sense. So, so you can get up and walk out and it may well just finish its process, if that makes sense. Yeah. But no, no, I agree. So I'm, I'm quite excited about all the matter stuff because I'm hoping this is when it all comes good and I'm ready to buy a couple of things. I want to get a doorbell. I want to see if the sockets are any better. I've already got my blinds. I'm very happy with the blinds. I must confess, the IKEA blinds, stunning. They've been really reliable. I don't know what IKEA have done, but the blind and then the little hub you have to buy, really, really good. I am hoping that the thread piece might remove the need to have hubs and things because if everything's talking on one protocol, do you actually need to have these these boxes and dongles? Yeah, hopefully not. I mean, my little bit of reading on it seemed to, it was based on something called Zigbee, which was an earlier sort of home automation hub protocol i think my philips hue thing might actually be zigbee underneath it all so yeah i think you've got one of these things that can do matter then hopefully you can get rid of the hubs because you're right everything might need a hub philips needs a hub ikea needs a hub i think a lot of the samsung smart things need a hub so you know it, it, it's yet another thing that if you can simplify all this a little bit then that'd be great yeah and definitely if you can share it between vendors and stuff it's got to be good i think the eros memory serves they come with zigbee built in i've never used it but it's there no, good to have. And if it's just one thing rather than having to support multiples, it's presumably cheaper for the manufacturers to make them as well and support them. So yeah, good progress. The next story I just thought was quite interesting, really. And it's a little piece via The Guardian, although we'll link to the 9 to 5 article because I like the headline better. The headline is, TikTok is the fastest growing news source for UK adults, shows depressing study. I don't think The Guardian added the shows depressing study thing to it. That's somebody's commentary there. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Are you do, are you familiar with TikTok? Are you a big TikTok user? Like with all social media apps, I don't have it installed. I barely ever use TikTok. I'm aware of it, but I'm not registered with it. I don't do anything with, with it. Just for clarity, when it says adults, it says it's basically 16 to 24 year olds. Half of its news followers are eight in that age range. So no, I'm not not an not a TikTok person. I saw you put some things of where you get your news in the list, and TikTok for me just isn't. It's not on my radar. How about you? Well, I just it's an interesting debate to have, isn't it? I mean, those of us, uh, when I think of my parents' generation, <clears throat> they want a newspaper. The, the canonical source of news isn't television news, it's a newspaper. They want the newspaper in the morning and whatever particular tabloid or broadsheet they buy, I'm not going to go into that. You know, they, they, they have an opinion, they have a political leaning, and they, they buy a newspaper based on, on that. Fine. You know, the veracity of that news is is potentially questionable, but it's kind of a standard of reliable most, I would say, UK newspapers. 
75, maybe 50% of UK newspapers are reliable for where they get the sources of the news from. And that's fair enough. I can understand that. That's a generational thing. Fine. And then there's our generation, which is probably more... I'm going to let you talk, sorry. There's our generation that's probably most likely to go either to television news, because I wouldn't buy pick up a newspaper, or a reputable source on the internet. Agreed. So my parents are the same as yours, probably similar generation of they do buy a daily newspaper and they are retired, so they have the, the time to consume it. And I agree with you on political leanings and and all of that, and they, they buy that and to, to read and obviously do, do whatever puzzles come in it. Now, I must confess, I do like to buy a newspaper from time to time. So I often buy the eye when I haven't got much time because I love the the snappy stories in it, a few puzzles to do. And you can just pick up some tidbits quite quickly and I quite like it. I quite enjoy a newspaper because I find I will read things that I wouldn't normally read if it was online, if, if that makes sense. I think it's good just because you'll see something and you go, oh, that looks interesting. I'll have a read of that book review or whatever it may be. Um, and other weekends, occasionally I do buy the FT at weekends because you get a nice big paper about what different businesses are up to. But you've got to have the time to do it. I will only buy it when I know I'm going to be at home for most of the weekend because it's it's quite a it's quite a commitment, if that makes sense, to, to cover it because obviously by the time Monday comes around, it's out of date. Yeah, fair point. And, you know, I do subscribe to The Guardian on my iPad and I will, on a Sunday particularly, follow all the Observer articles and I'll do exactly the same sort of thing. So I suppose technically it is a newspaper, but I wouldn't think of going and buying a physical newspaper. I, although I do understand you sort of leaning towards to do so. But would you say that was your primary source of news or would you say it was? Uh, no, this is very much supplementary to the week. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again... TV comes very close behind that. And again, there can be a political bend towards that, particularly in the UK, the way some some channels are perceived at the moment for whatever reason. But it's just interesting to me that I look at my children who are both on Snapchat, both on TikTok, and do get a lot of their news this way. You know, they wouldn't think to go to the BBC or ITV or The Guardian or the, or the Times websites for the news or, or turn on the TV. The first place they're going to look for emerging news is Snapchat or TikTok. Wow. So I must confess, so I do use Twitter, but I don't post. I just have it as my more sort of tech games news feed of things I'm into. And that will take me off to various websites. But every day I will go on ft.com because I do have a subscription. They don't, their app's not very good, I don't think. But they also do do a really well done web version of their newspaper. So you can get, in essence, the broadsheet front page up and you can zoom into each article if you want. You can flip the pages. It is a mimic it is a complete replica of the newspaper that you get it's in a web browser i don't get why they haven't put that in the app like why don't they just make that the app or make an app around it because they could present it in a much better way so i do read that on and off and i do use bbc news and apple news a lot you know dipping and out throughout the day just to see the headlines of what's going on i do quite like apple news because it will pull sources from different places i hate it when you block something and it just shows a big square of a block just hide it get rid of it you know bunch, bunch everything up yeah it's a really bad feature of apple news that if there is for example the sun that you want to block because you're not particularly interested in those stories don't show me this anymore and you just do get that reserve block going you blocked content from the sun all the way down the page and i you know if i blocked it, i don't want to know that there's content i'm not seeing it's it's appallingly written from that point of view blocked a phone number from phoning your phone don't show me you've blocked it i don't want to ever see it again you wouldn't you wouldn't expect it to pop up a game this Rod's trying to phone you, but you've blocked him. You, just, you wouldn't even know about it. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, I'm kind of with you on the Twitter thing. For more sort of immediate news, when I was more of a, an avid consumer of Twitter, like, for example, I discovered Michael Jackson died on Twitter. 
you know, before it came, I happened to be on holiday, I was in Spain, I was scrolling through my phone and breaking news, Michael Jackson had died. And the immediacy of Twitter when something like that is going on is very powerful. And I guess that's the hook for my children as well, is that, you know, with a Snapchat or something like that, you are plugged into people who may be there or next to it or with TikTok filming it right there and then. So I kind of get the pull, but with our, with, I guess with a little bit of seasoned heads on, it, it's the veracity of where that news comes from is what, uh, what I question. And with the evolution of these platforms for are you getting a particular bias? And I think with TV news and, and print, printed news, we're fairly aware where those biases are. I mean, we talked about the political leanings of newspapers. It's fairly clear in the UK whether it's a right-leaning right right paper or a left-leaning paper or a bit more centrist. And that's not always clear with how an algorithm shuffles you down the Facebook route or in a Snapchat route or the people you choose to follow. So, it, you know, the, the bubbling of people within these these applications for, for what the news sources are is quite, is quite a concern. No, I, I agree with that. And I think you're right. It's very generational, isn't it? I mean, we're in that middle generation between newspapers and TikTok. What, what are my children going to do in 10 years' time when they want to read the news? I have no idea, but I'm curious to find out. Yeah, it's interesting times, and I think as 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 parents, all you can really do is sort of trying to have that you know slightly cynical eye about you know is this is this reputable? Where's it come from? Is it faked? You know, in these days of deep fakes and the ability to fake voices and all that kind of stuff as well, you've really got to you know check with a couple of sources before you confirm a thing. Sometimes, so yeah, interesting times. Agreed. Good. I think that covers that topic. So moving on, the Digital Markets Act, which is the EU law, was approved. I don't think we talked about this last week, did we? I think it was, it was a drafted law, but now it's become actual, been signed into law in the European Union. So I don't know much about this. You, sorry, I was just, just reading the headlines. What's the highlights? Well, basically the highlights are there are new rules for, for large gatekeepers like Apple or Facebook or, or large, you know, large companies in this space. And there's, there's a couple of bulleted ones that I'll, that I'll read out. So companies need to ensure that unsubscribing from core platform services is just as easy as subscribing. So I think that's fair enough. You know, I've got no problem with that. It's very easy to hit a subscribe button. It's not always immediately apparent how you get away from a thing. Wasn't wasn't that what GDPR was meant to do for me? Uh, no. No, I don't think it is. I think GDPR is entirely about tracking your data around and knowing what people are doing with it rather than specific services. So if you sign up to a credit card company, they can't just go and sell your data off to somebody else without informing you that it's happening. That's the purpose of GDPR, or one of the purposes of GDPR. But, but, but yeah, one of the things was that you should be able to come off the list or, or you know have your data removed easily i was really annoyed the other day i clicked on an unsubscribe link from hp enterprise went to the website goes click here if you want to unsubscribe so i click there we're sending you an email with a secure unsubscribe link it's like you've already sent me an email i've clicked unsubscribe you made me click another button to get another email to stop the emails that i don't want it's ah oh, so yeah but the problem is the, the gdpr wise because you indicated you want to be part of it in the first place presumably by signing up to a newsletter or something it's different if they've sold your data or if hp enterprises got your data from i don't know some other company as a potential marketing person then that's one thing but if somehow by accepting cookies or something you've ended up re reliably on one of their lists then they're not breaching the gdpr by doing that so no I don't, I don't think gdpr has done the the great cleanse of spam list that we would all hoped for absolutely not but i don't think this is about this this is more about i subscribe to in-app purchases and it just keeps doing it every day for six months and your six grand's drained out your bank account with no immediate way of seeing it stop it happening 
I do I do think that's good because I do get cheesed off when, like with EE, for example, if I want to ca- cancel my Apple Watch SIM card, you can't do it online. You have to phone them up. What do they deem as large you know, platform? How, how do they define that? I, I think it's over a certain earnings amount. It's something like 100 million euros or something like that. There, there is a... There is a, there is what they deem a large company in there. I'm sure we'll, you know, I'll let you scroll through the article for it. I'm just leading, reading the highlights out at the moment. So the second one is, ensure that the basic functionalities of instant messaging services are interoperable to enable users to exchange messages, send voice messages, or files across messaging apps. And we talked about this before. This is the, would it be forcing Apple to open up iMessage to you know WhatsApp or Telegram or Signal and vice versa? Should, should those things be interoperable across them? That's good. It's really good, isn't it? Yeah, it's. I mean, this is the EU, and we're no longer in the EU in the UK. So you know, that that's that's probably the slight wrinkle in this. But it, it, I I I like the the idea behind it. I think this, you know, these closed messaging things are problematic when you're trying to change services, and there shouldn't be barriers to changing services based on lock-in. Is what they're trying to stop. Both these things are stopping lock-in, aren't they? To you being, you know, just completely stuck on Android or iPhone or Facebook, or you know, it's not necessarily just you know, a device manufacturer in this case. It could be so many people are stuck on Facebook because that's where their friends are or they use Facebook Messenger or they use WhatsApp and you shouldn't be, you know, stuck on that platform just because of that one thing. So I, I like the spirit of it. I worry about the implementation of it because if you've got a secure messaging service, something like Signal and you know, or Telegram, and that's vital in, in war-torn countries like Ukraine at the moment, that people can securely message without having those, you know, the various encryptions of it broken so they can be identified and targeted in some way, shape, manner, or form, you know, or protesters or whistleblowers or all the rest of it. I think it's really important that the enforcement of this is sensitive and sensible. How's that going to? Sorry, how are they going to make messages interoperable? I'm sure Apple would make the argument it already is because you can do SMS with it. <laughs> so we're all going to go back to SMS, right? <laughs> I don't think so. But there's alternatives to SMS as well, isn't there? Is it RCS? Is that the Google sort of branded yes. one? Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it involved. Maybe it go, we go back to the Jabber days, or or uh, what was the name of the messaging client on the Mac where you could have multiple accounts on it? Yeah, that's that's. I'm sorry, Tumbleweed just went past. I was. I was close to it. Because can you do that in iChat a little bit? You could do it in iChat. And again, that used a protocol called Jabber, which was a gateway to various messaging services. You could have MSN, you could have AOL, you could have, I think, Google Chat back in the day as well, as well as iMessage and have like have the, have the gateway between them, really. Is Google Chat still a thing? It's probably become Duo or one of the other ones. They've had about seven since, so I wouldn't worry about it too much. But uh, like I say, I think it's an interesting thing that you just use the thing you like. If you want to use Telegram, great. If you want to use Messages, great. If you want to use Facebook Messenger, fine. But some sort of gateway between them I mean, it is interesting that presumably what in that case, what needs to happen is every user and every service needs to be given a unique identifier and every service needs to publish that unique identifier to every other service. So, you you know, you can do it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's quite a job, isn't it? But, you know, it technically can be done. It's just the, the secure encryption between them all is where it might fall apart. So it's an interesting thing. Like I say, I think it's a laudable goal, but the enforcement is, poss- is difficult. But give users access to their marketing or advertising performance data on the platform. That seems like a competition thing. So we quite often hear about the fact that the reason Netflix left Apple as, as an ability to sign up through Apple uh, payment platforms is that they didn't know who was signing up to the platform. They couldn't specifically target programming around a particular person that signed up because all they got you know, was an amount of money. They didn't know what the credit card was. They didn't know what the person was. They got very limited data about them. So that's interesting, I guess. Apple would make a privacy protection argument, I'm sure, but you can understand why a company, when companies are trying to work together and understand their market base, why you'd want that kind of information. 
Yeah, it, and it kind of goes against Apple though in that they're doing the old the whole hide my email piece and things so that you don't actually know who signed up for it. So it'd be interesting to see how some of this plays out. Some of this seems good, but then some of it feels like it's going against the grain a little bit of what, what are we trying to go with. You don't need all my details when I sign up for a service. Yeah, it's it's a bit big brothery in some ways. And then the last point for, for the new rules is they must inform the EEC of their acquisitions and mergers. And you think, surely they should be doing that anyway, shouldn't they? You know, all these big purchases that go on. And I presume it's just a formalized process in case the EEC don't, aren't aware of what's happened. Yeah, no, agreed. I, I would assume that's, maybe that's a different governing body they have to inform if it's, it's like Competitions and Markets Authority or something, I, I can't remember. Maybe. And then, interestingly, they've got some things that companies aren't allowed to do anymore, and these, these big companies and this thing. And I thought these are quite interesting. So, firstly, they can't rank their own products or services higher than those of others. Self-preferencing. Apple are, are, are kind of up, up the paddle there. We'll let the creek without a paddle a little bit there. They definitely rank their products higher. Definitely agreed. As do Google. You know, you get on the, the platform, Google Play's front and center, Gmail's front and center. You know, all those things are immediately there. They're, they're both big companies self-preference. And I presume, although it might not be quite so bad these days, as Samsung used to in the day, back in the day as well, they had their own store, their own applications and all the rest of it on their platforms. So, Yeah, I don't know what they do. And, and that kind of goes into the next point. You can't pre-install apps or software or prevent users from easily uninstalling them which i think to be fair to apple they've got much better allowing you to take things off they have but you don't need to look at that very hard before you think right i don't want safari i want google chrome can you uninstall safari i have no idea (laughs) yeah but everything is still underpinned by safari isn't it so any web view you call on the phone uses webkit fundamentally it's still safari so you can install google chrome but it's using webkit it's not it's not using the chrome engine so that is probably a massive effect for Apple. I, equal, I, well, I don't know on Android. I presume you can install Brave Browser, which uses its own rendering engine on, on Android. So I, I, I get a bit of sympathy for that. Not, Safari doesn't always work 100% of the time on 100% of websites. And some people have their synced bookmarks and they have all that kind of stuff in that particular ecosystem. So I think they should be allowed to install you know, alternative browsers or whatever it may be. I, I completely agree. I love Safari, but I completely agree with you. Allow me to have one browser. I don't need to have two, if you know what I mean. I'm, I'm yeah. very comfortable with that. Yeah. Require the most important software, e.g. web browsers, to be installed by default when installing an operating system. So that's that's exactly that point again, isn't it? Don't force Safari on people. Prevent developers from using third-party payment platforms for app sales. So that's what the whole thing in Belgium with the dating apps was. You can't always force people to go through Apple. You can't make it so difficult to do it. Now, I'm not surprised that rule's in there after you know the hundreds of millions that Apple were paying within the country. But but the the point you've just read out, though, it says for app sales. Yeah. So this sounds like it's just for app stores, not for services within an, apps, within an app that's been sold on an app store. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's slightly tricky, I guess. This affects all of them. You know, Facebook have presumably got an app marketplace as well to install bits and pieces too. So it, we, we, we have a default. We, we revert back to Android and Apple in this situation. But a lot of these companies have these kinds of things. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm sure Facebook is not covered in glory. Absolutely not. And Amazon have got quite a sort of closed market for things as well, haven't they? Let's face it. And lastly, reuse private data collected during service for purposes other for purposes of another service. So, you know, you've got your captive market and you just keep sort of continually sticking more and more fences around them to keep them in. Interesting. Yeah, and no, it definitely looks interesting. It'll be be curious to see where this goes. I was quite surprised actually when we had WWDC a couple of months ago that nothing was really said around any 
any laws, policies, major changes, you know, they're just carrying on as, as normal at the moment unless they're going to tackle that separately. Yeah, and just, just to finish this thought, really, I'm sure we'll be talking about this again, but if a gatekeeper violates the rules laid down in the DMA, it risks a fine of up to 10% of its worldwide turnover. For a repeat offence, a fine of up to 20% of its worldwide turnover may be imposed. Companies this size, that's a shocking amount of money. Yeah, and it's similar with GDPR. That was always based upon worldwide turnover for your fines. So I think it's good that they're threatening that, but will it ever come? They need to have one come through and make, you know, make an example of a company abusing the fines. Yeah, to my knowledge, there haven't been that many large GDPR violations that have made it to a huge amount of fine, though. No, I completely agree with you. I don't think they have. I just don't think GDPR ever really got enforced in the way it was threatened to be. It's like the cookies law. Or, you know, again, cookies must be on everything and everybody just clicks allow and goes on and who knows what they're doing. My son loves it when it says, do you allow cookies? He's like, yes, give me cookies. (laughs) (laughs) They've only with that kind of cookie. Good. I think that that will uh, do us for the Digital Markets Act. So the next piece I I put in the show notes just because I know how much you love Teams and some Microsoft things. So this is a story about Microsoft Teams getting its own Facebook called Viva Engage. What do you think of this, Chris? So I do quite like Teams. I I wish they could just do the basics on Teams really well to begin with. But what got me on Teams is I installed an update this week and you now get PowerPoint and Excel in Teams. I was like, so I can what, open up a document in Teams and just work on it. So why have I then got PowerPoint and Excel as apps on my iPad? And then there's an Office app which has got PowerPoint, Excel and Word within one app, if that makes sense. I think they're getting very muddled. I mean, where we're, it feels like they're trying to force everything into Teams. So that's kind of point one. But I quite like the look of this. We've been discussing it at work very recently of why do we keep sending so many emails? Are there other ways that we should be engaging with our workforce and, you know, drive engagement on our intranet? And we were discussing Yammer the other day, and I, I was kind of hoping that we'd missed Yammer. Uh, I don't really want, want to go down that avenue because it feels quite old school. And then... We're actually engaging with Microsoft of Microsoft. How do other companies use Teams to get more out of it? And then literally this came out the next day. So actually really interested to see this because maybe that's something we do need for that younger generation. We've got a complete mix of generations at work, some based in the offices, some out on building sites, some in sales offices, some working from home. And I wonder whether actually something like this could be quite good. So what this is doing is it's bringing social elements into Teams from Yammer so Yammer is a thing that Microsoft bought about 10 years ago. I know we use it within the university to maintain things like, you know, garage sale type stuff. You know, I'm selling my lawnmower. Does anybody want it? There's a lot of that goes on within Yammer. So I immediately ignore all of it because I'm not interested. And there's a certain amount of getting to know your employees, your employees getting to know each other within your sort of corporate space. And and it does look just like Facebook, or I haven't used Facebook in about three or four years now, so what I vaguely remember Facebook looks like to me anyway. So you can post a picture of your dog and all your workmates get to say, oh, how cute it is, it would be really great if they stood in the shower. You know, whatever that kind of thing is, That that's how I took this to, to be anyway. Yeah, and that, that's what I thought. And to me, it looked like Facebook as well. I haven't used it in a long time. But I quite like the look of this because you... I think in a corporate environment, you you want the ability to give out some corporate messaging. The company is doing X and then you've got your local business unit is doing this. And then you've got, we've got, a, say, a women's network. You know, you could have that spans across all the different business units that, that we have. And you've got a pride network and then you've probably got other interest groups. So I think this looks quite good and I quite like the look of it. And it's something that we're going to be looking at with our in, internal comms team. No, I mean, that's interesting. You do make a couple of really good points there about 
in a larger organization particularly you know how do you work with your employees to you know to make them happy in the workplace and that you know that sort of pastoral care element we've talked before about people if you if this will enable that that's probably quite a good thing i do worry about you know facebook needs a lot of policing about what goes in there and the content that goes in there and i don't think most companies are set up to do that kind of policing i, I suspect we as a university who's very care very caring about our students and you know, nominally about our employees and everything would really struggle. And I think in the private sector, it's probably even harder. Yeah, we don't we don't have many people to police, I say, our intranet and what have you, and people can post comments. We've got to rely a little bit on the tools that we have that hopefully block, you know, bad language and things. But you can still, people still post negative posts and things. And, and so it is a tricky one. But equally, we're trying to work out, well, how do we engage with the wider workforce it's largely got mobiles, everybody's got teams without sending out an email because I think e- people are getting email fatigue. And so I'm quite interested by this and it's something I'm going to be, like I say, p- pushing at work because we are aligned with Microsoft. We've got teams literally on every device. It could be a really interesting way. What I'm slightly skeptical on is how much will Microsoft continue to manage and maintain it? Is it just a flash in the pan? But then part of me thinks, well, if they've integrated with Yammer, Yammer's doesn't feel like it's gone anywhere like it hasn't left their portfolio so maybe there is a chance that this will succeed if they've made it interoperate but from reading the description so it could be quite interesting that they're going to be more invested whereas i think if they did this completely separate to yammer then there's more chance that it wouldn't get longer term love if that makes sense yeah i i mean i've got two concerns one is exactly as you say if Microsoft aren't interested, it'll just wither a little bit. Like, you know, LinkedIn is a social network that Microsoft owns, and that's probably the most active social network that they've got. They're not good at this kind of thing. In the same way that Apple aren't good at social networking, it's not their core functionality. And sort of, so there's that, that, you know, there's, they're pushing something into a product that may or may not have been designed for it. And that product is getting overstuffed and isn't well-written to begin with. You mean, you're talking about getting Excel pushed on you within Teams. It's it's making it more complicated. And when we used Teams a few years ago, just before the pandemic, we were sort of going between it and Slack. And Slack, the basic functionality is a messenger that everybody in the company or your wing of the company has, so you can get in touch with them. It's not worth an email. It's a quick message or you want to send them a screenshot or you know a document or something quickly to work on. And that core functionality is very effective in Slack. It's fast, it's effective, you can see people are typing, you can edit it. They haven't then gone, all right, now we'll integrate OneNote, now we'll integrate Excel, now we'll integrate you know, Product X into this. And I worry about a bit of bloat in Teams because it's not performant, particularly on any platform I've seen it on now, and that's not going to help, surely. No, I agree. And like I say, when I'm sitting down to do my budget, I don't think I'm going to open Teams to update my spreadsheet. So I, I do find it a bit weird. Um, but I do like, I kind of like where they're going with this because I was nervous when Yammer got mentioned a couple of weeks ago because it just felt like, oh, it feels really dated. I haven't heard anything good about Yammer in more recent time. And then to see this, you know, something fresh could be quite interesting for us when we are looking for a fresh way of engaging with, with the business. So I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes and I'll, I'll, maybe I'll report back in six months whether we've adopted it or not. Yeah, and we'll see how the university goes as well. Maybe it'll be the, the next big thing for making us all work together a lot more happily good okay i think that'll, that's a decent discussion on that actually it's thoughtful last of news this week is ios 15.6 and all the variants ipad os and, and watch os and all the rest of it have been available up to the most recent version number no new betas this week so far so yeah pushed out generally available update great 
and there's nothing in it that I care about and I'm not sure there is for you I think there's a few things for real sports you live sports you can pause but it feels like just a, the, the final swan song of iOS 15 I'm guessing yeah things like fixed an issue in Safari where a tab may revert to a previous page is you're sort of getting really down at the fine grained detail of things that are just a bit broken now aren't you I do have that bug in iOS 16. It's driving me around the twist. But yeah, I, I'm more excited to see what, what's coming next in, in 16. So um, it's great they, they're patching and keeping 15 going. It's great they can walk and talk at the same time. You know, they've got 15 being maintained and 16's rolling out. So I think they're doing a good job. i got to say, 15 has been a great operating system. It's been very stable. I haven't had any major problems with it. It's, it's just been all round and all the devices have had it on. It's been an excellent operating system. I completely agree. We rolled it out at work within weeks of coming out to 2,500 devices and it's caused me very little problems. And yeah. I must confess, actually, we've just rolled out Windows 11 to 2,000 laptops and it's caused us no issues whatsoever and we've got 1,000 to go. Did you go from Windows 10 to Windows 11? Yes. That's probably why you didn't have any problems. I think if you'd gone from Windows 7 to Windows 11, you'd have a lot more problems. Quite possibly, but everybody was on 10 and and they're either on the latest or the previous feature update, I think they call it. And we've rolled everybody out to 11. I was Because we're quite an early adopter of it for a 3,000 based business. I was expecting a few issues or teething problems, but it's been very, very smooth. I'm super impressed with Microsoft. Do you run lots of virtualized server hardware? Yeah. So we are just upgrading those to server 22 at the moment. Right. So what I mean is like virtual desktops, Windows 10, Windows 11 virtual desktops, or are they uh, all hard? No, no, sorry. We run virtual servers, but we don't do de virtualized desktops you, you don't only run... for legacy apps for a very small proportion. Sure. So, so if you want to run something, you run it native. So that was a problem we found in our estate is because we run lots of virtual desktops. So you know, we, we give people Windows 10, Windows 11 clients, but through through a VMware Horizons or something like that as a means of doing it. And it caused us no end to trouble because it expects a GPU and virtual desktops generally don't have a GPU, whereas laptops and desktops do have a GPU, even on, on, on the chip. So you're lucky you haven't had a go at trying to do it in an estate of virtualized desktops because you'd have hit a lot more trouble then. Yeah, and I guess we are lucky. But I'm just super amazed with both Apple and Microsoft that in the olden days, you'd upgrade the OS and it was a lot of a chore. Things would break. And I do get this, you know, sometimes they do break a few eggs, but it's just gone super smooth. I'm really impressed, impressed with both of them. And it's like I say, when you're upgrading thousands of people, you'd expect, I think, to see more issues. But they're really good. No, they're mature now, I think is the way. They're, they're, they've got quite good at this, both companies. And I'm sure... Google and its Chromebooks and things like that are just as good at updating because let's face it, it's Linux and Linux is not bad laterally at doing this kind of stuff as well. So yeah, I think the desktop, and I include laptops in that, is, is a much more understandable space and it's better, both from a corporate and a home user's environment to do that. I'll talk about my broadband woes in a minute, speaking of corporate you know, of upgrading things. But yeah, I think from the desktop point of view, they've got it pretty well sorted out. That does for news. Yeah, definitely. Let's move on. Marvellous. A very short media section this week. And we should have talked about this at last show, actually, is Apple have been nominated for 52 Emmy Awards for its various shows. Did you miss this one in the week? I think it came past my purview, but I don't think I was overly surprised because you and I have discussed before, the quality is very good. So, yeah, it wasn't a big, big shock, this one. 
Yeah, we don't need to make a big song and dance about it, but I just thought 20 Emmy, nomina- Emmy nominations for Ted Lasso is phenomenal for, you know, a, quite a short-run comedic TV show only in its second season. That's an awful lot of recognition for Ted Lasso, I'd say. I completely agree, it is, but I think it definitely deserves it. It's such a good, such a good show. And it's kind of made me want to go back and rewatch. And then Severance, which I think is better than Ted Lasso. It's a different show. It's better in its own way. 14 Emmy nominations for its first season. That's got to be a, some kind of record for a first season of a show, surely. Yeah, I, I would have thought so. I don't keep up with the Emmy, so I don't know. But it's, it's a huge amount, isn't it? But it does show that, that they can do it and they are turfing out some really good stuff. I'm yeah. really super impressed. Yeah, it's really good. And then there's sort of other shows that I can honestly say I haven't watched that much of. Morning Show, probably John Stewart, Central Park, Pachinko, I watched the first one of them. Foundation, I'm glad it got something, it's a good show. Felicity Story, C, I haven't watched any of C, They Call Me Magic, Carpool Karaoke, the series. So, a couple of things in there, but nothing I'd, you know, did I see Schmigadoon in there? I did see Schmigadoon in there. I know that's some sort of dance thing. Musical, isn't it? I've no, I've no idea. Did you say Carpool Karaoke? I did. Is that for an Emmy? That was up for an Emmy. Well, that's just lowered my expectation of Emmys, to be honest. Fair enough. I like James Corden, but I don't like that show. Yeah, I'm looking, and no, the, I think the most that's been nominated in the Emmys is 21, and it's things like Dancing with the Stars and Will and Grace, American Masters. They're, you know, as, as I scroll through the list, there are quite a few shows that have done quite well. For example, The Sopranos garnered 112 Emmy nominations over the course of its existence. Seven seasons of Sopranos? Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Good. Six. Six, six seasons. There you and go. it was like six, they split season six into two halves. Anyway, the long and the short of it is well done. These are shows that are very deserving of recognizing the talent, actors, writers, directors, everybody that's involved with it. Actually, on that note, you might not notice this. Are you up to date with For All Mankind? No. The last episode, maybe the last two episodes of For All Mankind, were directed by Andrew Stanton, who is a Pixar director. Okay. who did WALL-E and one of the worst films of all time John Carter on Mars less said about that the better but yeah I just thought it was interesting that Andrew Stanton's directing some For All Mankind's episodes no no that is good he is awesome so I love WALL-E such a good film yep great film last story for media then is I have been watching finally The Boys season 3 on Amazon Prime are you familiar with The Boys? no so if you feel a bit full of the various Marvel and DC expanded universe things that are going on and how superheroes are the greatest things in the world. The Boys is based on a British comic from a few years ago, which is sort of looking at what would it really be like if human beings had superpowers? Wouldn't they just be evil, horrible people that would take advantage of their powers? And, you know, if you had godlike powers like Superman, you know, would you actually turn out to be a fine, upstanding person or would you actually be a bit of a scumbag? And the boys was very much looking at that as if they were a bit of a scumbag and the companies would be likely to control them and what people would have to do. It's extremely gory, very violent, really just wrong sometimes, but also quite funny and has got some great actors in it. So, for example, Carol Urban is in it, who played who played Dread, was in a couple of the Lord of the Rings films. Yeah, it's good. How gory is it? Super gory. That might put me off. It's it's done in a funny-ish way, but it is super gory. It's uh, and it's, so it's available on Amazon Prime. It's the third season. If you've got Amazon Prime, you'll know very quickly within about twenty minutes of watching the first episode if it's something you're going to like or not. Okay, maybe I need to check that out. I'll see what I can fit in. Yeah, have a, have a look at it. It's, if you can get behind its sort of mindset and what it's trying to say, it's 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 quite a it's quite a good show. Yeah, 
Fine. That'll do us for media. Games. Is this all on me this week? Yeah, it's just been Command and Conquer in my house. Sorry. <laughs> Command and Conquer failing to buy a Steam Deck or reserve a Steam Deck. That's fair enough. You I'm know, a bit disappointed about the Steam Deck. I can't even give them £4. That's that's just not good enough. You know when the play date comes along, it's going to be all on you for the play date. I've heard nothing since the 8th of June about my play date. I'm a bit cheesed off because what that's what, a month and a, and a half nearly now? I think you're going to be waiting a long time. I'm in the second wave, so I'm in the this 10,000 batch, so I'm, I'm hopeful. I have my fingers crossed for you. So just a little I bit. Am near, I am near the end, though, because I, I think I was like 19,000 was my order number. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm going to be very quick. So Steam Deck is still dominating my gaming time, really. I managed to install Xbox Cloud Gaming, which is a quite a strange process to do on the Steam Deck. You need to drop it into desktop mode. You need to install Microsoft Edge, the new version of Edge, the Chromium-based one. It is a bit of toing and froing with it, and you need to put in cut and paste some keyboard commands. There's quite a good document on Microsoft's website to do it. I guess I should put that in the show notes so anybody wants to see how actually convoluted it is. It's probably about eight steps. I'm fairly comfortable with Linux. I didn't find it that big a deal. But once you do all that, you can then, from within the Steam interface, you don't need to go to desktop mode anymore, Click on Xbox Cloud Gaming, it'll launch it up, connect to your uh, Xbox Live account, and then anything that's available within that is playable. So I had a very, very quick go at it, and considering it's all streaming this, so it's running in the cloud somewhere, it's not running off my Xbox or something local in the house, it is all streaming from the cloud. You need to configure the controller map, so because you're not using an Xbox controller to control it, you're using, obviously, using the controls in the Steam Deck. I fired up Forza 5, which is the latest Forza game, looks amazing, streamed incredibly well, only the tiniest bit of input lag, I've got to say, actually controlling it with the Steam Deck. I was blown away by how good it was. Just the, the, be able to react, to be able to slide around corners in a car, across the fields of Mexico. Finished a race, finished third, wasn't trying very hard. Really impressed. You know what, I could imagine Falls being quite good on the on the Steam Deck. I mean, it's amazing then if, if it's playing well. I must confess, for me, the steps seem a little bit keen. I wouldn't be as patient as you of setting it all up and, and jumping through all those hoops. I, it really wasn't that difficult. I mean, it does look, it, it looks slightly intimidating, but with the exception of one step, Microsoft do a good job of talking you through it, I gotta say. So I, I, I've just, I've pasted it into the show notes now. So if anybody is interested in what you've got to do to get it going, then it's there. So I tried Forza. I, it's not really my first choice of game, but there's a new game be released on Xbox Live Arcade called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. If you remember the cartoon back in the day, Heroes in a Half Shell, Turtle Power, that one. They've made a game. It's a recent game. It's only come out in the last couple of weeks or so. It's a sideways scrolling beat-em-up, sort of very Streets of Rage or Golden Axe or Double Dragon, one of those sort of styling of games. Very well put together. Nice animated style. Keeping the sort of vaguely vaguely 8-bit art style, but you know, obviously from this from the 16-bit days. It looks very like one of those games. There's a lot of love gone into that game. So I played that for a little bit as well. That was quite impressive. Sounds good. I feel like I've failed this week and that I just can't keep up with you. <laughs> it's it's all right. I'm quite into my Steam Deck at the moment, so it's fine. And then lastly, and this is actually true on Apple platforms as well, there's a game called Into the Breach from about 2018, which is like a little tactical... It's like a very small-scale real-time strategy in the sense that you land with three robots, you've got a bunch of beasties to kill, or you've got one robot is artillery, it can shoot a long way, but only along the path. It's sort of in in an 8 by 8 so it can shoot straight in straight lines. One's got a punch that can push aliens back. And between the three of them, you can deal with like quite 
quite a large amount of beasties. You get five turns, you need to de defeat the beasties on the screen and you move on to the next thing and there's upgrades and things. It's a very deep tactical tactical sort of game. And it's been updated, you know, to, to still be supporting a five-year-old game that I think I only spent 16 quid on back then is, is really impressive. So if anybody's got at all an interest in running it, I think you can get it on the iPad. You can certainly get it on Macs. Into the Breach, it's on the Steam Deck. It's Linux native as well. Check it out. Just find out the app store to have a look. Yeah, if it's not there, I think the previous one by the developers was called FTL, which is sort of a, a bit of a Star Trek simulator where you were sort of running away from a pursuing fleet. So it's called Netflix Into the Breach. All right, so Netflix must have bought the, the developers. But uh, again, you know, you, you don't have to play it on Netflix. There are on other things there too. So uh, that, there's an interesting project for you. Are you. If you're a Netflix subscriber, can you download that to your iPad, can you? I don't know, but it does say in-app purchases, Netflix standard plan, £9.99. I think you should check that out. I think that's your homework. I'm going to put that at the top of the site. Into the breach Netflix. Good. Okay. And that's it for gaming. Sounds like a good, ho good holiday project. I think so. It's just a thing to take with you. Good. Anything else to add on gaming, Chris? No, not for me. I am going to download Civ 6 on my iPad because I must have bought it some time and again, a good holiday thing to have a play on. Do it. I was quite impressed though, looking on the App Store, it had all the add-on, it's got, well, I don't know if it's all the add-on packs, but a lot of add-on packs. So I thought that was pretty cool. That was good. I think they were giving them away. Every so often, I think I had it installed on my last iPad, and every so often I'd get a notification saying, such and such an add-on pack is now free. So I claimed a few of them over, over the years. It's odd playing, I think we're going to talk about traveling with tech, and it's odd having an iPad with you on something like a plane or a train or something like that, because it kind of blows your mind that you've got this game that I used to have such a big heavy PC to lug around to play on, that the iPad handles quite well. So I'll be quite interested in your feedback on that, I think. Whether I get a look in, because I'm sure my kids will be commanding it to watch some form of Pixar film on the way. Well, there's always that. Good. I think I'll do is for games. Main show. Can I have a whinge about broadband? Go for it. Okay. Everybody so, loves a good whinge about a broadband provider. Yeah. Well, I think it's it. Ultimately, it's my fault things don't work as well as I want them to do. Because I've described on this show before how complicated my my home setup is for moving things, moving bits around the house, be it by Wi-Fi or by wires. So I had Virgin Media as my broadband provider. They give you a wire in at the house. They give you a hub of some sort, a router, and that's you know TV and all the rest of it as well. So the, the hub, as all hubs do, also has additional functionality. Most people would get the hub connect to the Wi-Fi that the hub gives them and job's good and they move on. They never think any more about it. Whereas I just want that to be a dumb pipe to go into the router I wanted to go to, which is my unified Dream Machine Pro. In your case, that goes straight to your Eero, I guess. Right. Yep. So I put in the Virgin land, you put it into router mode, which means you lose all that functionality. It automatically disables everything. And what it just gives you is an external IP address to the internet. So my 82 dot whatever IP address the Virgin Media gave me, plugged it into my Unified Dream Machine Pro and off it went. Didn't have to think about it again. My, my UDM was my firewall. It managed my cameras. It da 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 da. Power over Ethernet to my uh, various hotspots around the house because it's hard to shift the signals around. My virtual servers, all that kind of stuff is predicated on the... DHCP, sorry for listeners who are not quite aware of what this kind of things is, but uh, sort of, sort of dynamic IP addresses within my network are, were managed by that, as was access to the network. Things like firewall rules, so I can get into my Plex servers and things from outside of, or you know, various port forwarding things that you need to do to have external services such as VPNs and stuff like that. So that was great. So 
It was costing me and almost £160 a month for the privilege of having Virgin Media, as well as TV and internet and a phone. So Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of money, isn't it? So when BT pushed a thing through my door box, through my letterbox saying you can have the same for £60 a month, I was all over it. Not well, I don't need the TV, but it doesn't never mind. And it's slightly faster and the upload speed's slightly better. Didn't think any more about it, said yes, off you go. And they've been, as I talked about last week, very communicative with me about when they're coming to do the install. So the engineer came along with the Superhub 2. He plugged the cable into the back of it. I connected with my phone to the device's Wi-Fi, BT XYZ. Verified that I was getting 600 megs down over Wi-Fi, which is great. And that's not bad over Wi-Fi to my iPhone. I was really quite impressed with that. I didn't know my iPhone could connect something quite that quite that quick, actually. You've got Wi-Fi 6 as um, of I. I can't remember if it was better in the 13 than the 12, but it's, they both got Wi-Fi 6. So I, I, I then sent the engineer on his way. Now, one thing I hadn't properly picked up on during my install for this was the home phone line. As soon as you go fiber, you don't have a dedicated phone line in your house. You get voice over IP to the super hub. I hadn't really thought this through. So what will happen now is with the super hub, I have to double NAT. So you get the internet in your house. It's got a DHCP. It tries to assign IP addresses and all the rest of it. And then I want to connect that to my UDM, my unified dream machine. That doesn't work so well. It really doesn't like that. Neither of the device likes that. Yeah, I was, sorry, I was just thinking this through because I don't have a phone. I thought the phone plugged in, not into the router. I don't know why I thought it was. I thought it plugged into the white fiber terminator box on the wall. If you've got BT business broadband, it does. If you've got BT consumer broadband, it plugs into the super hub. So my internet wasn't working at all by coming out of one of the LAN ports on the super hub and then into the WAN port, wide area network port on my unified dream machine pro. I've jiggery po- I did some jiggery poker. I vaguely got it working, but I'm not happy with this. What happens if I just plug the the cable from the white box in the wall, ignore the super hub, straight into my Unified Dream Machine? I had to configure one thing, PPOE. I had to set on the on the Unified Dream Machine. I had to. There's a secret password. It's not that secret. I had to configure. Bang, and I was up and running immediately with almost the same set, well, the same setting as I had with Virgin Media, different IP address because it's BT. Everything working beautifully, no problem. But the phone doesn't work because the phone will only work when it's plugged into the super hub. So now I've got a choice. I can go back and fiddle with it and try and get the internet working on my unified dream machine and then the phone will work or I can leave things as I am and not have a phone. And I think it's going to probably too much to not have a phone. So there's been a lot of cursing, gnashing of teeth and swearing today about how to get this up and running. So that's my story of broadband. Interesting. I, d- I don't know what Googling you've done on this, but I know like the, when the BT router ships, it's like 192.168.1.254 for its IP. Do you need to do anything on your network to fake the router? Do- is it just looking for that IP? And therefore, I d- I'm assuming there's other people out there that want to do what you're doing. Because So I went through the same of, can I rip out my BT router because I don't need it and just use my Eros and I and I could, but I don't have a phone. Yeah, the, the, the rate limiting step here is the phone. The, uh, so what I'll do is the next time there's not a load of people in the house is I'll spend a couple of hours trying to get it work with a double NAT thing. But I think it's going to mess up bits and pieces for me. Double NATing isn't... You've got a port forward from two devices. So for example, if I want to connect in to see my cameras, I'm going to have to allow it on two devices. I think it's going to affect the performance a little bit. So it's not ideal. But at the same time, 
somebody in this house is on call, you know, a couple of times a week, they kind of expect to have a, a phone line. And despite the fact mobiles are pretty good and are generally the first port of call these days, I suspect I'm going to have to get it working somehow with the phone line. I'm all right tonight. I've left it on, on internet only mode tonight. So over the weekend, when, like I say, there's less people in the house, I'll have, I'll, I will do battle again and try and make it work. I must confess, when I put my Eero in and took out the BT box, I waited till there was nobody in the house. And so I could just do it because I thought it was going to be a right kerfuffle. But do you know what? To actually just swap the Eero and remove the BT box probably took about half an hour and it just sorted itself out. Yeah. Like you, I had Googled for the super secure password, which is like broadband user or something. I can't remember what it is. But I wonder whether it is worth Googling before you try playing. Has somebody else managed to get this working? Yeah, and people have, but not without doing the double net thing. So the, 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 there's some complexity I've got to deal with as well, because my network is complex. And I, I've got things like where the DNS comes from is from my pie hole because it does advertising blocking and all the rest of it. So I've still got a DNS pointing to that, but it's not on the right network segment and there's VLANs and it's it's not straightforward at all, any of this. So I've forgotten what I've done over the years. So I just need to go back and start with brass tacks again. I think you might be onto something with the 254 IP address it gives out because within my unified re machine, I can see that 254 and, and the BT device can see the Connect device. They're both trying to DHCP over the 192.168 range, dot one range. So there's not an easy way to switch that off on the BT box, which is what would be my ideal thing. Switch that off. Don't let it do DHCP. Don't turn off the Wi-Fi. And then I'm, with the exception of the fact it's still double natting, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm in a healthier state of affairs. But at the moment it's working. I'll ju I just need to spend some time and figure it out. The, the other top tip, you need, should log into your MyBT account and disable BT Wi-Fi because I, I assume they still do this, but your BT Home Hub will broadcast BT Wi-Fi for people that have got BT accounts. They can use that Wi-Fi address for free. But I didn't like the idea of it. I didn't want another SSID being broadcast. And I've recently turned this off for my various members of my family that have got BT. Yeah, it's a fair point. I'll do that. So there you go. That's my tailable anyway. And more updates on that maybe next week or, or at some point when, we, when I know what's going on a little bit more. But all of this is to say, I think BT is, none of this is BT's fault other than the fact they should just let you plug the phone line into the white box. It shouldn't require a router that's on. Most people would get the box, plug it in, connect to the Wi-Fi and they'd be off to the races. They'd have no problem. They'd just be delighted with their fast internet service. Yeah, and I do think out of the box, BT does a good job. They keep trying to force me buying Halo routers and things off them. I don't want any of that. And I'm just super chuffed. I can use it with my arrows, and I've just got rid of my double nap that you were just talking about because I didn't want that either. And I think the service has been really, really solid for me. You know, I've been working from home a lot. I download a lot, stream a load of movies and games, and I've never really had any issues. And we get 900 meg throughput on it, and it's serving the house really well. Yep, good. There we go. I think the next story is to you then, Chris, for us to discuss uh, traveling with tech. Yeah, so I am traveling next week with the family, only within the UK, on a train without the car. And I just wondered whether it was worth us just very briefly just discussing what do we take when we go on holiday as a family? So I've got two adults, two children. We will have an iPhone each for my wife and I, and we'll probably take one big iPad, which I will do some work on in the evenings. And the children may watch a movie in the evenings, depending on what's on the TV in that in the hotel room. So that's kind of my idea at the moment. And we may well use the iPad on the train if we want to watch a bit of the Formula One, as that's on on Sunday while I'm traveling up and I'd like to, to stream it. And I've got 120 gig of data on my iPhone, 
which I can cons- which I don't really consume each month. So this is now my time to actually use some of my data. So that's the sort of kit we're taking. So not a lot. Oh, and we've got a couple of Apple Watch, maybe a Kindle actually, because I'd like to read. And the joy of having a family room with your young children is they go to sleep way before you and they will moan if you put the big light on. So I'm fairly confident I'm going to get a couple of books and, and pop them on my Kindle. So that's what we're taking hardware wise. And I just wondered, you know, what, what, what did you take on holiday and what charges did you take? And have you got any recommendations? Yeah, so I think it all starts for me. And I'll talk about the foreign holiday rather than the UK holiday because I do something different is port adapters for chargers. So all of mine, I've got PD chargers, which are the fast chargers, the, the, the GAN chargers. So they can put out 85 watts or something like that. So you can charge multiple devices quickly. They're about 50 quid. I've got three or four of them. Generally only take one or two on holiday, but that means you can charge at least four devices at a time. Generally, there's iPads taken, there's phones taken. I'm the only one that really wears the watch, it must be said, in the house, so I take a phone charger as well. But as long as you've got power for all these devices you take with you is probably the most important thing. I tend to take my laptop as well, just because I'm such a dyed-in-the-wool Mac person, I kind of need it with me. But generally, it's iPads everybody takes. There might be a Kindle, but it's just keeping all of that stuff charged, because everybody, all of us, depend on our phones so you've got to have that and you've got to have them powered and if i am flying i'll take a big battery as well so i think i've got a twenty thousand milliamp hour battery in the back of my rucksack and that can charge certainly my laptop up to full and it can charge phones multiple times as well because i don't want people to be there to charge my my visions of being stuck in an airport and watching the 50 people clustered around the plug plug socket trying to charge the devices up because you've got a seven hour delay i'm not for that i want a lot of power with me interesting that does sound like a big battery is it heavy like it sounds heavy <laughs> just by the milliamp hours that, that you suggested it's 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 a significant thing flannel for a minute and i will uh, i will sh- i will fla- flash it up on the camera for you and i'll try and remember to put the device in the show notes it's not horrendous you know it's oh, okay it- so what's that that's looks about the length of an ipad mini and not quite as wide about um yeah. Half, half, half is wide. Yeah, it's a, it's a, thick. It's as thick as a decent paperback book. And this is a Rav Power, snappily named Rav Power Super C series. Sorry, it's bigger. It's twenty six thousand six hundred milliamp hour portable charger, and it's got two USB C and two USB A on it, and you can charge four devices at the same time. And, okay. and at the moment, I use this this holiday to charge three phones up from full, and you can see it's still got three out of four power lights. It's got yeah. a huge amount of power in it. That's an incredibly useful thing when you're traveling to have with it. Do you know what I've done in the past, actually? I've actually used my iPad as a battery bank. So I usually charge my big iPad up. So I've got the 12.9-inch M1 iPad. And then you can actually plug your watch or your phone into it if, you ha- if you're if you not near a, a power socket. I'm slightly nervous because obviously I'm running some beaters and they drain the, the battery down. I'm not really worried about my iPad running out of battery. It's just more our phone when we're out walking and I use it obviously for directions and and what have you. So I was just curious to see what you take. So what I normally take everywhere I go is I've got a very small bag and I've got two of the Apple 18 watt chargers in it with the fold out pins. And then I've just got USB-C cables for my watch, my phone and my iPad. And that that serves me when I'm going to work and when I'm um, out and about my own or I'm staying over. But I normally just take that and then I just swap the devices as we charge them because I do find the iPhones charge pretty quick these days. My children aren't taking devices, so that helps. I just try and take as bare minimum with us as possible. Yeah, it makes sense. But like I say, particularly for the family trip, 
and often when you get to your destination, you just want to plug in one thing, and that's the charging station, which is why I like having these multi-adapter plugs. So you know, having four, a couple of USB-C, a couple of USB-A, encompasses all the devices. And quite often, both my kids have got ridiculously long iPhone lightning cables, like 12 meters or something like that. They're insane. So they can have them in bed, you know, charging in bed if the plug yeah. sockets on the other side of the room. So little things like that are useful too. So you know, good cables, good ability to charge the devices because you're going to take the devices uh, and, and you're, you're off to the races really. I think next, you know, six months from now when one of my children has an iPhone or something, that's when we will start needing those sort of charge stations, I think. Yeah. I was, I was also thinking a little bit today, just final point on where I'm running the beta on my iPhone should I come off the developer beta and move to the public beta? Because my phone gets incredibly hot and I wondered, I wonder if there's less login and, you know, stuff between the public beta and the developer beta. Even there's the same functionality now, but are they doing less in the background? But I couldn't find anything conclusive on this. I don't know what your thoughts were. To my understanding, the public beta is the same as the developer beta, but badged slightly differently. So it's still going to have the same amount of logging in it, but it's going to lag. So you'll get a newer developer beta, maybe two newer developer betas before you get the next public beta, and it'll be based on whatever the last developer beta was. So yeah. I think I don't think there's any point at all in swapping. Okay, fine. I will leave it as it is and curse you on Monday when I'm out of battery in the middle of Edinburgh walking around. You, you, you know, I'm not taking the blame for that. It's just the way it is. You put the beta on your phone in the first place. One final thought before I go. So one of the, one of the reasons I take my laptop with me is because when we're going away, it tends to be for a couple of days and we do like to watch a family film. So I like the ability to have something to connect to a TV because the TVs these days are generally flat screens, 32 inch. I've got an HDMI on them in some ways, manner or form. So I tend to take my laptop so I can so we can do that. The last couple of trips to Spain, I took a Roku box, which we got on the internet in the place, and I managed to stream Disney Plus and Netflix and all that stuff while we were there. You know, it's only a little stick that sits in the back of the TV. It's about that big, one of these HDMI sticks. That was really good. And if I am going to the UK and I know it's going to be a good TV, I've taken my Xbox with me before now as well, for the same reason. Because it's not very big. You can use a controller and you can stream all your services with it. You can put a USB stick in it and you can have every film with you if you want. So... If you've got the space driving, take an Xbox. But if not, something, and an iPad can do it these days as well, stream from your device to a TV. And that's it's quite a nice way to get family movie time into it. Yeah, so we have to take the iPad for that. I'll, I'll cache a few movies before we go. And I do have a USB-C to HDMI dongle that I put in it. And then normally I just HDMI in the back of the TV if, if we want to. Or the kids, if it's just the two of them, they're quite happy just to use the iPad because it's quite a big screen. Cool. I think that's traveling sorted. You'll have to report back and how you got on. Will do, and whether the beta made it through, because I do find the beta on my two-year-old phone is, yeah, I'm hitting yellow battery all the time. Hey, made it to Spain with it. Not a problem. I think we can call that a show, Chris. Yeah, definitely. We've gone a bit long. Amazingly. As always, we've gone a bit long. If anybody wants to get in contact, you can email us at wakefromsleepatprotonmail.com or on Twitter, we are WFS underscore podcast. But um, have a good week and we'll do it all again soon. Enjoy your holiday. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.